And the reading is Psalm 103, verses 1 to 13. Psalm 103, page 605. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Reading is taken from Luke 13, verses 10 to 17. It can be found on 1081 of your Bibles. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Sorry about that. It's Luke, yes. Um, right. Sorry. We start again. <laughs> a crippled healed on the Sabbath. On a, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days to work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, 
a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide, inspire, and encourage us. We pray that through the same Spirit you will do that for us today, that we may be challenged to follow you more nearly and more dearly. In Jesus' name, amen. In conversation with people through the years, I've heard some outrageous things that uh, people have said about the Bible. One of them is that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. God, they say, in the Old Testament is a despotic tyrant who destroys, whereas the God of the New Testament is a God of love who, through Jesus, forgives everyone. Well, neither of those statements are true. In the Old Testament, God is shown as a God of justice and righteousness who longs for his people to love and serve him faithfully. In the New Testament, God is revealed as a God of righteousness, love and justice who, through Jesus, makes it possible for each and every person who believes and trusts in him to become a member of his kingdom by faith, restored to a new relationship, but it's only as a result of repentance and faith that that new relationship is established. Why does God do this? Because God is a God of compassion. One day, he will fulfill his promise to bring to an end the world that he has created. But until that day, his compassion extends to all the people he's created, giving us all the opportunity to respond to his love. God is a God of compassion, and the Bible is saturated with compassion. It seeps through the passages of the Old Testament and pours itself out in the Gospels and presents itself as a challenge to us as followers of Jesus Christ to have that same compassion in our ministry as Christians. God's grace and compassion go together. They often appear individually, but they're very powerful and effective when they occur together. It ought to come as no surprise to us to find that the psalmists speak of God's grace and compassion. And in that first reading from Psalm 103, David in particular speaks of the one who grants forgiveness, brings healing, executes justice and righteousness for all. And he writes of the greatest feature of God's eternal goodness by declaring in verse 8, the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he goes on to state some of the riches of God's grace and compassion subsequently pointing out the paternal nature of the Lord's compassion. 
often used at funeral services as it happens. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And David, of course, knew more of God's compassion than many others because as king, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And having committed adultery and being confronted with his sin, he cast himself on God's compassion and mercy. And then again in Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he's made. If it was just the psalmist that we relied on, we could be a bit dubious about God's compassion, but they're not the sole basis for our understanding that the Lord is a great God of grace and compassion. In revealing himself to Moses, God reassured him that he, Yahweh, is compassionate and gracious. And the message of the Lord's loving, compassionate response to his people who call on him is true of the people who were in exile away from their homeland. Through the prophet Zechariah, the Lord declares that he will bring them back because of my compassion for them. They will be as though I'd never rejected them, for I am the Lord, their God, and therefore I will hear them. Although he judged his people, God remained available to the repentant cry of a righteous remnant. And God's gracious mercy and compassion aren't limited only to occasions of repentance, suffering and oppression and danger. God's grace and mercy is readily at hand at all times, as Nehemiah experienced when he went to the king Artaxerxes and asked for permission to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And the Lord overruled that situation, and Artaxerxes allowed Nehemiah to go back. As one writer put it, the Lord of history makes the decisions, not the kings of the world. So in the light of these passages and many more, we can see that they reveal to us so clearly God's character. The Old Testament prepares us for the arrival of a saviour. And the New Testament tells us that the saviour who suffers the world invites us to live and act compassionately as followers of Jesus. God's compassion is mediated through Jesus Christ and his love and compassion is mediated through us today as Christians. The grace of God has appeared, Paul wrote to Titus, that offers salvation to all people. And our Lord Jesus Christ was the conveyor of God's compassion and mercy, a quality that can be seen in the biblical accounts of his person and his ministry. Jesus compassionately takes an interest in those he meets who had needs, and he helps them. And on that occasion, recorded in Luke chapter 13, which we had as our second reading, Jesus ignores the human regulations and rules, which didn't get in the way of him helping those who were in need. He was quick to point out the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders who were prepared to save an animal on the Sabbath, but not 
I hear my bang. Compassion was a distinctive mark of Jesus' character. And as Jesus' disciples drew near to the city of Nain, he encountered a funeral procession held for a widow's son. We're told he had compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he restored the young man to life. In a similar way, a leper begged Jesus to heal him. Contrary to the usual social conventions, which disallowed anyone to touch a leper, Jesus was moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched them, touched him and said, I'm willing, be clean. And he showed in his compassion for the crowds when he fed the 5,000 that they needed something to eat, and he performed that miracle. Everyone was ate, everyone ate and was satisfied. I trust that on September the 8th, 5,000 people will eat the fish baps that will be provided for them, because even I can't eat 5,000 fish baps. <laughs> Is that right, Ruth? <laughs> Later in his ministry, he and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, and two blind men approached him, and he begged, they begged him to, remove, to heal him. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. One writer says of Jesus, Jesus had pity for the human dilemma and always responded. Most busy teacher rabbis, let alone messianic pretenders, would never have stopped in their rush to help the unfortunate. But Jesus did so every time. What's the worst thing you can say to a clergy person? I just thought about this. Apart from someone who said to me after I preached my heart out about the value of the peace, a Yorkshire lass said that was a complete waste of time. <laughs> the worst thing you can say to a clergy person is this. I know you're busy, but... I know you're busy, but... In other words, the person hasn't got time for them. But Jesus had time for people and he reached out to people. But he also taught people the importance of compassion. And his teaching makes the point that we're to care for all people, particularly in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where we are reminded that being a neighbor means that we reach out to anyone in need, regardless of their national or racial barriers that may exist. One writer said, this standard is very difficult for even sincere believers to follow. But Jesus' closing command is still the same. Go and do the same. So Jesus taught compassion and he demonstrated it in his life. How about ourselves? Compassion alludes to kindness and sympathy. But there's something deeper, something even more profoundly powerful in its meaning. The origin of the world helps us to grasp the true breadth and significance of compassion. It literally means to suffer with. Compassion means someone else's heartbreak becomes our heartbreak. Another's suffering 
becomes our suffering. And the word used means to be moved in the inner parts to feel compassion. I was reminded of the old authorised version which said that we're to have the bowels of compassion. In other words, we feel the pain. And the New Testament writers understood the power and the force of God's compassion. And they may have also had in mind the physical feelings associated with compassion. And watching Casualty last night, sad but true, there was the story of a child that was dying. I was reminded of the children's funerals that I've taken through the years, two in my first curacy of children that drowned. And no real understanding or experience of bereavement at that time. But I couldn't do much for the rest of the day having taken those children's funerals. It was absolutely exhausting. And a few years ago, on the Sunday after Christmas, Sue and I were taking the service, and someone came to find me and said, there's a couple at the door who are in desperate need. Could you meet with them? They've lost their child on Christmas Day. I grabbed Sue and said, come with me. I think you need to be on this. And together we listened to the couple and then eventually took the funeral service. And I offered her the chance to take the committal at Kingston Cemetery, but she declined and said, no, I'll just watch you do it. And I said to her, just before the service began, don't expect to do much for the rest of the day. I know. I'll get on. The next day, she said to me, you were right. She said, I just couldn't do anything else apart from write the odd letter and do a bit of thinking. I couldn't visit anyone because for her, the experience of just sharing on that occasion moved her to compassion with a physical sense of exhaustion. So the choice of the graphic word, the bowels of compassion, served to impress the New Testament Christians and indeed us. God's compassion was rooted in his deep love for them and his sensitivity to their pain. True compassion changes the way that we live. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, executed by the Nazis at the end of the Second World War, said this, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or are meant to do and more in the light of what they suffer. After I'd escaped from the underground train at King's Cross in 2005, I was interviewed by ITN News and appeared on the news a bit later. Some of you have heard this story, others of you won't. The next day I went back into school and met a colleague who saw me and said, oh, I saw you on the news last night. She said, I know just how you feel. Hmm. I wanted to say, really? She said, yes, I, I was on a train one day that was stuck underground on, in the height of the summer and it was so hot. Didn't compare with what I'd experienced, but it just shut off any opportunity that I had to say what I was feeling at that time. And it's unhelpful to say to someone, well, I know how you feel. 
it immediately cuts off the ability to hear what the other person is really feeling. Some years ago, some students in a flat in Marmion Road used to put up a thought for the day. And as I walked past to church from my house in Marmion Road, I saw the signs, and one of them was pretty profound. It said this, most people don't listen, just waiting their turn to talk. We're all guilty of it. We all got a story to tell that's better than somebody else's story. But in our ministry to people, if someone's telling us what they're going through, we need to listen to what they're saying rather than imposing what we feel on them. Compassion reaches out to those in need. And Paul wrote about the comfort that God gives us, we can then bring to others as we ourselves listen to them. God is a God who reveals himself as a God of grace, mercy, and compassion. And in spite of our human unfaithfulness, he stands ready to forgive all those who sincerely repent and turn to him. The Lord's compassion is not just in the Old Testament, it's there in the person of Jesus and in his ministry. And this is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. As believers, we should be concerned with the needs of our fellow believers and be ready to help at all times. Paul encouraged the Colossian Christians, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. It's obvious that as believers we should show compassion to our fellow travellers on the Christian journey. That's understandable. But our compassion isn't limited only to our fellow believers. And Jesus taught that through the parable of the Good Samaritan, anyone who's in need is worthy of our compassion. As Christians, we have compassion on those who are lost. That's why we've got this evangelistic event to reach out to the needy in South Sea who are living their lives without God making a difference to their lives. We speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, defending the rights of the poor and the needy. There was a story doing the rounds in schools in the Thames Valley uh, some years ago about uh, an English class at a school uh, spelt with four letters just north of Windsor, where the English class had been invited to define poverty. One boy wrote a sentence, poverty is only being able to afford one servant. We need to have compassion for those who don't understand what poverty is, although we ourselves are really not fully understanding of what poverty really means, but we can have some understanding, and God can work through us as we reach out to those in need. One of the saddest places I ever visited in the course of ministry was in the segregation wing in the Reading Young Offenders Institution when I was covering for the absence of the chaplain. The rest of the prison was pretty depressing, apart from the smell. There was just the overriding sense of 
desolation, really. But then you go into the segregation wing. People who committed pretty horrendous crimes against other people of a sexual nature. And also um, police killers were there as well. Though I'm not sure that there was one there when I was in that particular situation. But in ministering to that group, I had to set aside all human feelings of revulsion to see them as individuals desperately in need of God's compassion and mercy. What about the victims? Of course, one has compassion for the victims. It goes without saying. But there were these human beings driven to such dreadful crimes. God's love and mercy reaches out to them. And as today's believers, we follow the Lord, who is a great God, full of grace and compassion. Paul's instruction was to clothe ourselves, clothe ourselves with heartfelt compassion. God's compassion, our compassion, can't be measured in pounds and pence. It comes with a price tag. But the price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. Let's pray together. Father God, you are a God of mercy, compassion and forgiveness. And we thank you that that was revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ, who not only taught but demonstrated your love and compassion in practice. Forgive us for those times when we failed you, when we have been too busy, and help us to be more compassionate and understanding of those around us who need your love and compassion more than anything this world can give. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.